Last week, we looked at a false transformation by comparing and contrasting Judas with our own personal discipleship. This morning, we're taking a look at another of the original 12 disciples, a more obvious choice, the leader of the group, Simon Peter. We're looking at his transformation story, the before and the after of his classic failure. We know a few things about Peter. First, he was Jewish. His father's name was Jonah, and he was married with a mother-in-law. We all know that Peter was a fisherman, but not only a fisherman, he also owned at least one boat, and probably more. Peter was a business owner, a manager, a boss with a number of employees. And in my reading, I found Gary Smalling classifies Peter's personality as that of an otter. That gave me great cause to pause. You usually think of otters as being the, the life of the party, animated, playful, sociable, funny and even bouncy. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Peter having any of those traits? Bouncy? But Smalley points to the other side of that personality coin as well. Otters are spirited, talkative, undisciplined, interrupting, angered easily, and very loud. Now that, that's more like the Peter I remember from scripture. This was the man that Jesus called to be his first disciple, or maybe the second man called. Apostle Peter had the same accomplishments as we mentioned last week of Judas. Peter was also a preacher, or rather he was the lead teacher among the disciples. Like Judas, he was not simply one of the 70, but Peter and his brother Andrew were the first to be selected by Jesus, a full member of the body of disciples. He was one of the original 12 apostles, and doubtless many times he had preached the gospel. Many must have been encouraged by his voice and by the miraculous powers that were given to him. And like Judas, at his word, the sick had been healed, the deaf were made to hear, and the blind had been given sight. But now, now we come to today's text. All the while Jesus was being beaten and falsely charged, Peter, Peter denied knowing Jesus, even though he was one of the most trusted apostles. Peter had fallen, fallen terribly. He denied Jesus, denied him repeatedly, even in the Lord's presence, Peter denied him with cursing. Even though he just hours earlier, Peter had declared, Lord, with you I am ready to go to both to prison and to death. Peter thought, Peter thought he could never stumble. And for that very reason, he quickly fell. It is said a prideful spirit goes before a fall. And today that same pride is flourishing in the hearts of men. If our pride, if our pride continues to grow, we too shall soon experience a fall. If we rely upon our character, upon our experiences, or upon our insight, in the end, we will land just as Peter in a disgraceful failure. We, we must either deny ourselves daily, or we will surely deny the Lord. If we hold on to our own strength, we shall not hold on to Jesus. Immediately, Peter's denial was owed to cowardice. Imagine in the presence of a maid, the brave Peter who once walked on water was ashamed. He could not bear to be pointed out as a follower of Jesus. Peter did not know what might follow, but he saw Jesus, his Lord, without a friend. He must have felt it was a, a lost cause. Peter did not care to affirm his friendship. Just, just think the brave Peter under the Temporary discouragement should, should play the coward. Yet how often cowardice follows boasting. People think they can fight the world on their own. But often, 
oftener the first to run away. His sin also arose from the lack of commitment. Jesus had said to him, So, you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? And no doubt there was more meaning in the words than appear on the surface. The Lord several times said to him, Praying that you may not enter into temptation. The words were repeated with deep feeling, for they were greatly needed. But, but Peter had not watched. No, he had been warming his hands. Peter, Peter did not pray. He felt too strong in himself to be driven to a special prayer. Therefore, therefore, when the gusts of temptations came, they found Peter's boat unprepared for the storm, and they drove it upon the rock. When Peter first denied Jesus, a rooster crowed. Peter must have heard that crowing, or he would not have communicated the fact to the evangelist who recorded the event. But though he heard it, he was an example of those who have ears but do not hear. One would have thought that warning would have been enough to touch his conscience, but it did not. And when the rooster crowed a second time, after he committed three denials, it might not have wakened him. It might not have wakened him from his dreadful sleep, if not, if not a high power had been used, namely a look, a look from the Lord Jesus himself. We pray this morning that God keeps us free from the spirit of slumber. Peter was under the grim influence of Satan. For it was a night where the powers of darkness were especially active. Jesus said to Satan, this is your hour, and in the power of darkness. That same influence which attacked the Savior unsuccessfully. For Jesus said, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Also attacked Peter with sad results. For the evil one had something in Peter, and Peter soon found out. The sparks from Satan's fire fell upon our Lord as if it had fallen upon water. But Peter's heart, Peter's heart was like a tinderbox. And when the sparks fell, they, they found fuel. Oh, that our church, oh, that the, the ridge that you and I would be kept from free from the assaults of Satan. A necessary part, a necessary part of the Lord's prayer is, do not lead us into temptation. But the next petition is especially noteworthy. Deliver us from the evil one. Satan is such a master of wounding our souls. He knows our weaknesses in the present. He breathes to our memories our past eras. And he paints the bleakest color for the future and seeks to destroy our faith. Our faith through his lies and his deceit. Yes, Tim, yes Satan's temptations are near to impossible to escape. It takes all a man's strength and a great deal more to ward off his scheming and his wicked plans. The worst of it, as in Peter's case, Satan casts a spell over us so we do not fight at all but yield ourselves over as an easy prey. Our Savior said to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter was as 
much under the power of Satan as flour is in a sieve, like a helpless thing that going up and down, and so pass from a simple falsehood to plain denials of Jesus with oaths and cursings. I think, I think we can all relate if we just think about it. All of us could relate to Peter. Let us let us spend the rest of this time speaking of Peter's transformation. Peter was down, but he was soon up again. One writer says the story should be called Peter's transformation rather than Peter's fall. His fall was soon over. He was like a little child learning to walk that has fallen down, scarcely down before his mother has him up again. It was not continuation in sin like King David, who remained for months without repentance, but it was the quick speech of a man that was carried away by sudden temptation, and it was followed by a speedy, a speedy repentance and transformation. Can you picture? Can you picture Jesus before the high priest and the council? Peter is down in the courtyard warming his hands at the fire. And now we see Jesus. We see Jesus turning around and fixing his eyes intently upon this stumbling disciple. What do you see in that look? What? What do you see in that look? I think we see a, a wondrous love. Jesus is bound. He is accused. He has just been beaten, but his thought, his thought is on Peter. Our blessed Savior is thinking of Peter. Jesus always has his eye for his people, whether he be in his shame or in his glory. Jesus always has an eye for those whom he shed his blood. Praise God, praise God, he now reigns in glory, and he still and he ever will look steadily upon his own. His delight, his delight is in us each one of us, and his care, his care is over each one of us. If you feel as if you've fallen by throwing away all the good things and by denying the Lord who bought you, consider, consider the amazing mercy of the Lord. If you are his, he will see you. Just as he did with Hagar when she cried out, you are a God who sees. When Hagar cried out, you are a God who sees. It was because the Lord had interceded to help her. When she first fled from her mistress, Sarah, the wife of Abraham, God was looking at her. When she looked at him, it was comfort. Oh, praise his holy name. Praise the great I am. Jesus has compassion on all of us. God sees our sin. He may remove it and make each of us clean, and make each of us righteous in his sight. As the Lord looks upon Peter, so Jesus looks upon you and I. He has not turned his back on you. He has not averted his gaze. He sees to the bottom of your heart, and he reads your thoughts. You do not have to go about finding God. God is looking for you. He is not far from every one of us. He is in within eyesight. If you are looking to him, your eyes will meet his eyes for Jesus. Jesus is already looking upon you. Peter looks. Peter looks and sees Jesus. He sees his masters looking at him. And what a sight it must have been for Peter to see Christ. Jesus' face was red from the bloody sweat. 
his eyes were wearying for the want of sleep, and his whole body was the vision of grief, if ever. If ever a picture of the man of sorrows could have been drawn, it was this moment when the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Peter saw a vision which would never fade from his memory. Maybe when Jesus looked upon Peter, Peter remembered when he was fishing and being called by Jesus to become a fisher of men. Or Jesus telling him to spread his fishing net, causing Peter to take an incredible load of fish, so much so that the boat began to sink and he cried out, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Or maybe, maybe Peter remembered this was the Jesus who had him walk on water. And at other times, the one who had rebuked the winds. Or Peter remembered this was the Jesus that raised the dead. But surely, surely Peter remembered this was the same Jesus with whom he had just been on the Mount of Transfiguration. All this in a moment had flashed upon Peter's mind. And maybe, maybe you can understand that these memories would cause Peter to go out and to weep, to weep bitterly. You see, Peter loved his Lord. His denial was not of the heart, but of the tongue. And therefore, as his faith was renewed in his mind, his heart was broken into a thousand pieces. A thousand pieces with grief because he spoke and treated his friend in such a way. Yes, yes, that look awoke a thousand slumbering memories. And all of those called upon the heart of Peter to repent, to repent of his weakness and to be transformed. Maybe, maybe the Lord's look caused Peter to think Jesus was saying, I love you. Peter, I still love you. You have denied me, but I still look upon you as mine. I will not give you up. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have not turned my back on you. Behold, I look towards you with tender affection, knowing you will yet serve me and prove the truth of your devotion to me. Oh, Peter, Peter, do not despair. I will receive you again, and you shall glorify me. This look, this look of Jesus penetrated Peter's innermost heart. Our Savior has a, a vision that looks deep into our soul. His look is like a, a beautiful ray, a beautiful ray of sunlight that lights up all the dark places of our nature by its own radiance. How many, how many persons are affected by religion only in the head? And it does not affect their heart and their life. How many people attend church, attend church regularly, yet after many years are still not transformed? There have been moments, moments of improvement, but they've ended in nothing. This morning, may the Lord give each of us a look and cause each of us to see ourselves and to see him, and like Peter, like Peter, be transformed. Something, something we often overlook, a fact that may escape our attention. The Lord's look at Peter was a revival, a revival of all of Peter's looking to Jesus. The Lord's look upon Peter took effect because Peter was looking to the Lord. Did you catch it? If the Lord had turned and looked on Peter and, and Peter's back had been turned on the Lord, that look, that look would have 
not reach Peter, nor affected him. Their eyes met. Their eyes met to produce the desired result. This look was altogether between the Lord and Peter. Nobody, nobody knew that the Lord looked on Peter, except, except Peter and Jesus. That grace which saves a soul is not a noisy thing, neither is it visible to any other but the receiver. This morning, if the grace of God comes to anyone, it will be undetected by those who sit on either side of you in the pew. Your neighbor will hear these same words, but they will know nothing. The eyes of the Lord will not be speaking to them as he is speaking to you. Is Jesus, is Jesus looking at you this morning? You know, the whole process of Jesus and Peter looking at each other may not occupied more than a second's time. The scripture says the Lord turned and looked at Peter. It probably, it most definitely took less time to do than it has taken me to tell this story. Yet in an instant, an endless work was done. How soon can Jesus change the heart? He spoke and it was done. Or perhaps he looked and it was done. This morning, may Jesus look on each of us and may someone look to Jesus because he first looked on them. The Lord's look brought Peter to his better self and aroused all the spiritual life which had been dormant in him. Peter remembered, and by this remembrance, he was restored and he was transformed. That look of Christ separated Peter from the crowd. He was no longer among the fellows around the fire. He did not say another word to them. He quit their company in haste. And it is as well for believers to feel they are not of the world. They should flee from the place of temptation. Get out of Sodom, so to speak. The Lord has called us from the world by his divine choice. And the separation should be our choice. That look of Christ also opened Peter's heart. He went out and he wept bitterly. There was bitter sorrow in the tears Peter wept that night. If we have sinned, if we have sinned with Peter, may God grant us grace, grace to weep with Peter. Many will remember Peter's failure, but will forget Peter's weeping. Sin, even though it is forgiven, is a bitter thing. Even though Christ may look away our despair, he will not look away our penance. Peter went out and wept bitterly. Oh, how he rebuked himself. How could I have acted so? How Peter beat his chest and sighed. How can I ever look up? Yet that look, that look of Jesus forgave me. And but I can never, I can never forgive myself. He remembered it all of his life. And he could never hear a rooster crow without feeling the waters in his eyes. Notice also Peter's relief from that look. That look he received from his Lord. Is a good thing to be able to weep. Those who cannot weep are the people that suffer the most. The Lord's look touched Peter and grief flowed out in floods. And that must have greatly eased him. We have frankly heard people say, I have had a good cry and after that I was able to bear it. Oh, we thank God for Peter that he could weep bitterly and that the Holy Spirit came to him with comfort. The Lord made the 
rock yield water when it was struck with a rod by Moses. May these words this morning help encourage the waters of repentance to flow and that lives would be transformed. This morning our prayer has been that God would use these words to speak to all of us, especially if you're here with an unrepentant heart. May the Lord look and may you feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit as he whispers, God loves you. There's one last thing I want you to see this morning that your joy may be increased. The joy that we have in the promise of God is always doubled when it spills over from our life and floods over to others. God broke Peter's pride and self-reliance that night, allowing Satan's temptations that were meant for evil to instead to be used to continue the transformation of Peter. Jesus turned Peter around, forgave him, restored him, and strengthened him. His faith was just a look. And now it was Peter's mission to strengthen the other apostles. Jesus provided for them by providing for Peter. The one strengthened becomes the one who strengthens. The other apostles were being sifted too. And Jesus not only prayed for Peter, but he prayed for them as he prays for each of us. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you want, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus did not ask the Father to guard their faith in the very same way he guarded Peter's. There's a, a great lesson for us here. Sometimes God will deal with you directly. Strengthen your faith alone in the early hours of the morning. But most of the time, God strengthens our faith through another person. God sends us some Peter who brings just the word, just the word of grace we need to keep in the faith. Some testimony about how weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Whenever God encourages your heart with the promise that Satan will be sifting your faith, take that encouragement and double and double your joy by using it to strengthen another. As we close this morning, let me leave you with this word of hope and encouragement. If you love God and are called according to his purpose, if you are weary of trying to do it on your own, then look to Christ. Look to Christ for hope. And to you belongs a most wonderful promise. Jesus, Jesus prays for you. And he will never let Satan destroy your faith. And he will never let Satan bring you to ruin. Instead, instead he will help transform you. He will help transform your life. Let's bow for prayer.